Now listen, I bet that all of the people in your life who don't go to church regularly also like Christmas music. So I've got a challenge for you. I want you to invite some people to church for the next two weeks. We have invites that we're handing out this morning. Maybe you got one on the way in or you'll get one on the way out. Uh, but our theme this year is a thrill of hope. So I would ask, ask yourself this. Who in your life has really had a rough 2019? Who needs hope? Who needs a thrill of hope. And this week, will you invite at least three people to church? And you know what? You might want to ask, uh, you might want to lead by saying, hey, do you like Christmas music? Who's going to say no? The Grinch, you know? Hey, guess what? My church is doing Christmas music for the next few weeks. Do you want to come? I know it's been a rough year for you. Do you want to come to church? Uh, invite friends to church this week, and let's see what God does, uh, especially with the theme. Um, a few other announcements we have is... Uh, the baptism huddle is for anyone of any age who is considering getting baptized. It's at, we actually have a class in the chapel, so what you're going to do is you're going to go right out this door after the first service, and you're going to go through the office out there and up to the new wing. So you get to see the new wing if you haven't been up there either. There's going to be refreshments, um, but any of the teenagers who said you want to get baptized or any adults, you're going to come to the baptism huddle immediately following the service. I will meet you up there to talk about bapt. We're not going to dunk you there, all right, so don't panic, but you'll get a chance to talk about it after the service. Also, for the next two weeks, the 15th and the 22nd, we're going to have a building fund offering. So if that was part of your pledge or you would like to give to the building fund, then come ready to give next week or the week after that, or you can give online to the building fund. All right. Well, please open your Bibles up to the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, verse 9. The book of Hebrews, chapter 6, verse 9. And as you're turning there, this series has been all about the distinctives of our church, the distinctives of Anchor Church. What are the fundamentals? Where do we get our DNA? What are the basics? We've talked about worshiping Christ. We've talked about walking with Christ. Today we're going to talk about working for Christ. And I'm going to kick this sermon off by reading a parable from the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to turn there, but this is from Matthew 25. Jesus says this, For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. He made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, the explanation so far is this. The parable is talking about Jesus entrusting us with his property. What that means is his church, and his church is his people. So it's how we are building his church in the world. This parable is a way of illustrating what he expects us to do with his property. It also shows that some are given more opportunity than others, but each according to his ability. And then the master goes away. That gap between the master leaving and the master returning is the gap between Jesus leaving and Jesus coming again. But he will return. It says, Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. Now that's a portrait of on Judgment Day, somebody who took everything that Jesus gave to them 
and invested it in building up the church, meaning serving others, meaning helping other people and the kingdom to grow stronger. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. That's a portrait of being welcomed into eternity with a compliment from the master. He who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I've made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seeds. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours, but his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. Wicked and slothful. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scatter no seed, and you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent away from him and give it to he who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given more. He who will have an abundance... But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now this is a beautiful picture that gives us tremendous confidence in the faith. And at the same time, it is a shocking and terrifying warning. The promise is that Jesus will give us a chance, an opportunity to serve his purposes, to do things for his kingdom, to invest ourselves in a way that's faithful to the master's plan. And when we will appear before him, we can do so unashamed and with great joy with the reward waiting for us. But the warning is this. If when we appear before our Lord, we have done nothing to expand his kingdom, we have done nothing to take what he's given us and serve him and build up others and grow the church, the fear is that we don't belong to him how can we expect to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, if we haven't served him? Now, I lay that blessing and that warning before you as we head into a sermon about working for Christ. And God is watching your work. That's the title. God is watching your work. God is watching how I serve him and how you serve him. Today, we're going to assess how we're doing at working for Christ and we're going to learn how we can work for Christ so that we hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray as we get into the word together. Father in heaven, we thank you that you would invite us to be your servants. Thank you, Jesus. I remember John the Baptist saying, I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. And that is so true, Jesus. We're not worthy to even do the, the most menial tasks for you, but you hand us work. We are your servants, your workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So show us, Jesus, how we can serve you well as a church, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9, here's what it says. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name and serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness and to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, 
but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. We have here an encouraging word tucked away inside of a chapter that warns God's people about being useless in the faith. We've already learned that the book of Hebrews is written to Christians or those who go to church who kind of have senioritis. You know what senioritis is? Been around for a long time. This place is getting old. I feel like I've already done everything, and this is getting old. It's people who are like one foot out the door. Maybe you're feeling spiritually lethargic. Maybe you've been in church for years, but you're not growing. Maybe you still struggle with the basic beliefs and behaviors of the Bible. Um, Maybe you're discouraged and tempted to walk away because it's getting harder and harder for you to follow Christ, and you wonder if it's even worth it. Is that you? Because that's who the book of Hebrews was written to. And there's both warnings and encouragements, warnings and encouragements. And today, the warning and the encouragement is work for Christ because it's worth it. Jot this down. The question, we have one question. Are you working for Christ? Are you working for Christ? It describes here what it means to work for Christ. Um, It says, though we speak in this way, that means a warning was just given. Yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. The description of working for Christ is helping other believers to grow in their faith. That's what it means to work for Christ. And they were serving the saints. This church uh, that Hebrews was written to were believers in Jerusalem, and they were doing a good job serving one another and helping others to flourish in faith. This book was written to Christians in Jerusalem with a Jewish background. And when you put it together, the Bible describes them serving in many ways. They help with weekly worship services and meetings. Um, They would provide a reading or a song or a word of encouragement when the church would gather or do a prayer, instruction. Some would help collect offerings and maybe even distribute them throughout the city and throughout the uh, region, benevolence offerings. They would um, have a chance to be hospitable and to open their homes to one another with meals or with small groups. Uh, They would also meet in the church and have prayer services there. Um, They would help the sick. They would help the suffering. People who were traveling from surrounding cities would need to be hosted. They would also travel to surrounding cities with sermons or gifts. They would tend to the widows and the orphans. They would appoint deacons and elders to serve in those roles of leadership. Uh, They would tend particularly to women and to children who were in need. They would visit others in jail, mediate conflicts with believers, participate in prayer meetings. Uh, They would send out missionaries to faraway lands and support them financially. They would accompany the apostles on their mission trips. Some were part of big, big conferences of regional leaders that decided doctrinal issues. And listen, they did all of this without Google, without, without a smartphone, They did it without online planning center. Every meal for everything had to be made from scratch, and they didn't have an Aldi or an Instapot or anything. They had had all of these things to do, and um, they had none of the technology. There were no texts. When will you be here? There was no Uber, let alone Uber Eats. It uh, It was the ancient world. And they all had work lives. Then there were no unions battling for for a fair wage or a fair work week. They had little control over their schedule. 
Um, and the Roman Empire decided whoever they wanted to put in leadership over them. Uh, and so in the ancient world, the church was flourishing and they were working for Christ and serving one another. They have set for us a stellar example that no matter when you live or where you live or how much time or money or energy you have or how much freedom you have, my goodness, their effort is mentioned to motivate our effort today, to inspire us, right? Can you imagine if I came to your house and took away all of your technology and your health insurance and your refrigerator and said, by the way, I'm going to double up how much you're working at the church next week? You wouldn't even be able to function, right? I've got to make every meal from scratch. I've got, you know what? So they did it, and they did it to show us that it can be done. Are you working for Christ? Thankfully, you're a part of a church that is working for Christ, and our people here have been faithfully serving from the beginning. Part of the reason why is because if our people didn't serve, we wouldn't have even launched as a church. See, we launched in 2009. We just celebrated our 10th anniversary, but when we were building our little launch team, I would call people and I'd say, hey, just so you know, we're not a church yet. We're working to launch a church this fall. And so I need to know that you're going to be able to step up and serve in at least two major ministry areas. And they'd be, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then what I'd do is I'd give them what I, would, what I called the brownie test. So the brownie test was we were meeting Sunday nights. And I'd just say, hey, can you bring snacks this weekend, Sunday night? Can you bring brownies? And it was, a, it was the brownie test. It's actually become like a famous phrase in our leadership culture. I'm going to give her a brownie test. Uh, because if the person was like, oh, no, I can't do that. I'm, I'm taking care of this and I'm doing that. And I'm like, oh, you know what? Listen, if you're so busy that you can't even bring brownies this Sunday night, you're really not going to not be able to help us launch this church because it's going to be a lot of work. Oh, okay, maybe I'll visit after you launch. I'll see you then. We needed people who would work for Christ or we wouldn't have launched. And we do have people who work for Christ. Last year alone, if you look at our annual report, we had 408 volunteer positions on 20 ministry teams in our church. 20 ministry teams. We didn't, have, we didn't even have 20 people when we first launched the church, let alone 20 teams. Uh, 193 Go Team volunteers served at eight events last year. Um, 14 people served on two hurricane relief trips we also sent two mission teams, one to Bucharest uh, this year and uh, one to Kiev, Ukraine this year. We love to help you work for Christ. Working for Christ is a joy and it's also a sacrifice. Are you working for Christ? Well, how do we do it? Jot this down. Discover how you're shaped to serve. Discover how you're shaped to serve. It says in the um, book of Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4, so I'm like peeking back at an earlier verse. We'll put it on the screen. It says this, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and, listen, by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. God gives the church abilities to serve with the intention that they will be the way that he makes his grace and his truth known in the world. Spiritual gifts are God's way of showing and telling the truth in the church and in the world. And this acronym of SHAPE, I, I stole it from Rick Warren, who probably stole it from somebody else, but this acronym of SHAPE helps us to know how we can serve in the church. So the S in your uh, bulletin stands for this, spiritual gifts. Do you know what spiritual gifts are? Spiritual gifts are manifestations of God's Spirit in your life, and 
they are, they are something that's useful to other believers. It's really important to understand that any spiritual gift you have is given to you for, listen, other people. And you can use any spiritual gift in the flesh for your own glory, but that's not why God gave it to you. Every spiritual gift is your way of building up the body of Christ and serving the saints. Generally, spiritual gifts fall into speaking and serving. Two buckets, speaking and serving. You might be an evangelist. You might be a teacher, preacher. Uh, an apologist would be kind of a speaking gift. Somebody who's exhorting, or maybe you can counsel somebody. These are like speaking gifts, but there's also serving gifts. You can help. You can administrate. You can lead. Uh, there, there are spiritual gifts that are, there are so many listed in the Bible, and there are so many that are just alluded to in the Bible. Um, and spiritual gifts are all about serving others. Hey, the number one way God is going to manifest his presence in your life is through other Christians using their spiritual gift to encourage you, to challenge you, to support you, to help you. That is how you are going to feel God's hands on your life. All right. Of course, you want him to just descend down into your living room and take away all of your problems, and that's not what's going to happen. He's going to bring Christians around you, and it's through the spiritual gifts of others that you know God is present and powerful. So do you know the spiritual gifts God has given you, how you have been blessed and strengthened to serve others? Next, your heart. Your heart. What are you passionate about? God has wired you with certain passions. What is it in your heart that you just have... Uh, you just have limitless energy for these things. It could be a certain age group. Like you love to work with kids or teenagers or the elderly. You love, you love to work with people who have a certain struggle or you, know, you, you like to help people who are sick and so you go into healthcare. But you've got, you've got a heart for what? Do you know what you're passionate about? What are you investing your energy in? Sometimes people are really fired up about some causes. Uh, sometimes people are really fired up about uh, things like adoption, things that would be heavy on the heart of God. Uh, in the early days of our country, it was Christians who started the universities and the hospitals because people were fired up about education and politics and helping people to be well. So that was the heart of the people that reflected the heart of God. Next, what about your abilities? What are you good at? Are you good at construction? Are you good at playing the bass? Are you good at managing money? What are you good at? Uh, it's important to serve in a place where you're gifted, where you have an ability. Uh, so in, in, a, in a different church, I heard this story once about a woman who wanted to be on the worship team, but she wasn't that good at singing. And so she, she was very upset about that. And uh, so she just got as close as she could to the worship team. She got on the tech team and she would just project the words, right? But she would sit back there and cry because she couldn't be on the worship team on Sundays. And it's like, I feel bad for you, but you really need to let it go <laughs> because you're not good. There was a guy at another church who auditioned for the worship team, didn't make it, got on the tech team. And then one day the church caught him setting up a microphone for himself at the tech booth and singing over the speakers. He just put himself on the worship team. All right, dude, let it go. All right, let it go. And uh, find an area where you have an ability, where it's a strength. And sometimes people are like, oh, I do that all week long. I don't want to do that at church. Well, hey, if God has gifted you, then maybe you want to align your efforts with what you're good at. Next, your personality. You know, maybe you're an introvert. Maybe you're an extrovert. 
Maybe you're kind of, maybe you love, I know people who love spreadsheets, you know, give me a, give me data. And other people who it's like, you know, get me on the phone. The problem is when you get a spreadsheet person making 10 phone calls a week and they're just like, hello, and they don't like to talk on the phone, right? Uh, And if you put a a phone call person in front of a spreadsheet, they're just like tearing their hair out of their head. You want to, you want to do something that's kind of in line with your personality. Personality tests are really in right now. I don't know if you know your Myers-Briggs letters or your Enneagram number. Raise your hand if you know your Myers-Briggs letters and your Enneagram number. Go ahead. Come on, be a nerd. Put your hand up. I've got my hand up. Uh Uh-huh. See this? Personality tests are in. There's a lot of value in knowing who you are. Who am I? Because if you get put in the wrong spot, you're just going to like, you're going to blow. Next, your experiences. Your experiences. You know, maybe, maybe you're a cancer survivor. Maybe you've gone through a divorce. Maybe you've been on mission trips or you've been a missionary. Maybe you've traveled. Maybe you've got experience leading uh, a business. Whatever it is, God has shaped you. See the word shape? God has shaped you to be a very useful servant. And he wants us to use our gifts to serve the saints in the church. To serve the saints in the church. So have you discovered how you're shaped to serve? And if you're just like, I don't know, you know, maybe you need to fill this out and be like, all right, I'm going to figure it out. How, how has God shaped me to serve? So are you working for Christ? Well, discover how you're shaped to serve. And then write this down, is love your motive? Is love your motive? It says here, beloved We feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work. So he's watching your work. And the love you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. It's kind of cool that the Bible calls all Christians saints. Doesn't mean that you're any different than anyone else or that you have some special spiritual status like a miracle worker it just means that you are numbered among the children of god and when you work for other christians you're serving the saints these are people you're going to spend eternity with it might seem a little counterintuitive that god wants the love and the work to start in the church you know it might it might be like well we got to get out there and help people yep yep it starts in here they will know you're christians by how you love one another So first, we have to serve the family of faith. And then that emanates out to the world. Is love your motive? Are you, ask yourself this, when you show up to a ministry team, are you you there because you love God? So I don't know what ministry team you serve on, but Sunday morning, we have so many people serve. We've got a hospitality team. And I wonder if you show up for the hospitality team. Hey, are you here because you love God? Did you say yes on planning center because you love God? Is love for God your motive? Love for his name, it says. Love for his name. And his name is a stand-in for him and us. (laughs) His name, his reputation. We bear his name. Is it love for God and his reputation? Is that why you serve? If you showed up for parking duty this morning, is it, hey, I I love God's people. I love God's people. Tech team, woke up bright and early. Are you here because you love God's people? Because you love God? You're in trouble if you're here because you love recognition. 
It's going to backfire if you're here because you love authority. It's, it's going to be really bad if, if you're here because you love drama. That's really bad. Love drama, gossip, rumors, getting the latest, stirring the pot. And this applies to our elders, our deacons, and, and even our staff. Bad day if the staff is showing up because they love money and need a job and have bills to pay, and it's just clock in and clock out, that's bad. Is love your motive? Jesus was so loving. Think about all that he did. He worked so hard for other people. As pastors, we have the privilege of visiting people when they're sick, and somehow, starting Thanksgiving week last week, we had six people in four hospitals. Six people in four hospitals from our church. So we're texting each other, divvying up the I was making my hospital rounds one day, visiting people and sitting with them and praying with them and hearing what they're going through and the test results and what's coming up next and all that. And uh, it's awesome to just read God's word and pray with them. I'm always on the way out. I sanitize my hands, all right, because the place is full of sick people. And going to a bunch of hospitals in the same day, you know, I'm just kind of like, all right, maybe I'm going to be one of them if I'm not careful. Think of Jesus. He walked around. He touched all of these sick people right? All day long he'd heal people. He'd touch them. Would, would you? Would you do that? Like if you lived in the ancient world, would you visit the sick? There's no hospitals. Every doctor is an amateur. You know more than all the doctors back then. Would you walk around like Jesus visiting the sick people, touching them? Would you? Would you? If you could go back in time and you looked around and you knew that no one on the planet had ever used hand sanitizer once. Would you visit the sick and Jesus all day long? He would heal people. He would visit the sick. He would help them in their suffering. Why? Because he loved them. Because he loved them. Before Jesus was betrayed, the disciples were arguing, who's the greatest? I'm the greatest. You're not the greatest. I'm the greatest. This is after Jesus washed their feet. Right? This is our holiday challenge this year. If you're, how many of you are hosting Christmas this year? Raise your hand if you're hosting Christmas. Okay, holiday challenge. I want you to ask all of your guests to take their shoes and socks off, and I want you to wash their feet. Ew! Merry Christmas, right? He washed their feet so humble. And they're like, I'm the greatest. They just don't get it. Luke twenty two twenty seven. put it up on the screen. What did Jesus say? But I am among you as the one who serves. Hey, is love your motive? Is love your motive? Discover how you're shaped to serve. And then, and then, hey, is love your motive? What an example Jesus set for us about why we serve other people. Jot this down. How's your hustle? How's your hustle? It says here, uh, we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. The word earnestness there in verse 11 is, uh, is like speed, like quickness, like hustle, right? Uh, it means that you are accelerating in your commitment and effort to serve other people in the church. And assess yourself right now. How are you doing at working for Christ? Are you accelerating um, in, in your speed, in your ability to work for Christ? Are you, you know, are you actually racing to the front of the line when an opportunity presents itself? Or when there's an opportunity to work for Christ on a mission team or a ministry team or whatever, are you kind of like, you know, slowly backing away and, uh, and you're, not quite, you're not quite, you know, a little alligator arm, like, all right, who's going who's gonna to help with this, you know? Uh, oh, busy. I've got a lot to go. Oh, 
you? Is this you? Or are you like speeding ahead to the front? Me, pick me, pick me. Yesterday morning, we had a men's prayer breakfast, which was really awesome. We had a bunch of guys who were serving on the kitchen team, you know, and I love to see the guys there making the pancakes and serving up the bacon and the eggs and whatever. And I don't know how they got on the team, but it's really cool whenever there's an opportunity to serve. If you're kind of like the kid on the playground going, pick me, pick me, ooh, 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 ooh. Is that you? Do you have hustle? Or is it kind of like, oh, that sounds like a big commitment. Oh, I don't know what I'm doing Saturday morning, but I don't think I could be, I'll come and eat the bacon, but I'm not going to cook the bacon. Surely I don't have time for that. You know, are you kind of protecting your schedule from being a servant of Christ? How's your hustle? It says here, we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, that's the word, to have the full assurance of hope until the end. The idea there is because you're serving, you have confidence to appear before the throne of God. Your serving gives you confidence that you're a servant. So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. The warning here is that we wouldn't become sluggish. So ask yourself this, first of all, how's your hustle? How's your level of commitment and effort to serving other people in the church? It's a good time to ask if you're working for Christ and where you're working for Christ. Just do a quick assessment and and think back through 2019. And in your bulletin, jot down a few of the things that you've done to serve a church, your church family this year. Maybe you're on the VBS team. Uh, Maybe you were part of a GO team. You know, maybe you're on the parking crew. Just jot down in your bulletin, how have I served Christ in the church uh, in 2019? Yes, when you go to work as a whatever, nurse, or, you know, you're working, you can work for Christ at your job, but that's not what the Bible's talking about today. The Bible's talking about serving the saints, meaning your work in the church, on the church, for God's glory. So what have you done in the church to serve in your, in your church family in 2019? And there are some of you who are, you know, your, your pen's just, just flowing, you know, and you've done a lot this year. It's been a good year for serving. Maybe for others, you're faithfully part of a ministry team, and um, maybe you have been a part of that team for several years, and you're remaining faithful, but maybe you're not accelerating. Maybe you didn't say yes to something that you feel like really stretched you this year. And I'm sure there are some here this morning for a variety of reasons. You, you really don't have anything to write down. Um, you've got to face that reality to begin with, because if you don't properly assess where you're at, you won't know where God is challenging you. But I would just say this, if in 2019 you can't write down one thing that you've done to serve the church family, uh, this, this passage is really asking you to have an answer for that. You know, if say it, I've done nothing to work for Christ in 2019, and then ask yourself, why? And there could be many reasons why. Uh, Sometimes people are in transition. They've changed churches and they're trying to nail that decision down. Well, okay, it's understandable. You don't want to like plunge in before you actually know a church is, you know, has good doctrine and whatever. Maybe you moved and you're just trying to get situated or um, sometimes. So transition is a really big reason why some people haven't really worked for Christ in the church. There are other times where you're in a season of life where perhaps you have like a family member you're serving in a way that really cripples your schedule and limits your availability. Um, for example, we had you know, people in our church who were driving to different states like every other weekend to take care of parents. Okay, hey, I understand that. I understand that. Um, 
You know, if, if, if you're like, well, my kids have seasonal allergies, okay, I don't understand that. <laughs> you know, that's, that's not like a schedule crippling thing, but maybe you have something in a season of life. You know, some people invest time and energy to prepare for a better career path, and, you know, there still would be a way to serve in the church, but maybe they're just not able to at the level they would like to. But I would just ask you to evaluate where are you at right now in serving for Christ in 2019, and um, if you haven't done anything, I would just ask you, what's your plan for 2020? Uh, if your plan is to not change anything, I'd really push back on that. Uh, because unless January 1st, you want to really kneel down before the King of Kings and say, God, I have zero minutes to serve you this year. Zero. And give him a reason to actually back that up. Then I think you've got to budge and say, Lord, I, I didn't serve you in 2019. Uh, and I'm repenting of that. And I'm asking you and inviting you to show me how to become a servant so that I can hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, because I didn't serve you last year. And I'm, and I'm convicted about that from God's word. Maybe you have to have that conversation with God. Again, there are some good reasons why your service might be lacking, but there are also some bad. And the Bible right now, and I've got to be a faithful proclaimer of God's word, the Bible right now tries to isolate those who really have bad reasons to not serve. It says in verse 12, so that you may not be sluggish. So that you may not be sluggish. So I, I have to ask you to ask yourself, you know, to evaluate if the reason why you're not working for Christ is, I'm, I'm going to say it because I have to, is just because you've gotten selfish and lazy. Maybe you need to face that. Maybe it's just because you've grown sluggish. Uh, have you seen the movie Wally? -E? The movie Wally -E was ahead of its time. It's all about this, the, the, Humanity has left the earth because it, it was ruined and there's no hope of resurrecting. So they all got in this cruise ship and they left into space. And have you seen Wally? Raise your hand if you've seen Wally. And so they all get overweight and they can't even get up anymore. They can't walk. Uh, here's a picture in Wally of ever. They just sit all day long on their cruise ship and there's poor little Wally looking at it like, what are they doing? And then they finally figure out that they need to go back to earth and get the world running again. Um, but in order for that to happen, the captain has to challenge autopilot. <laughs> and there's the captain getting up uh, after so long of not walking and challenging autopilot to a duel. And maybe that's a portrait of where you're at. Maybe you just have it on autopilot. You're just cruising through life and you're saying no to serving Christ and you're not on a ministry team and you haven't done anything for a year or more and you're just not working for Christ and the Bible is calling you out. And maybe you need to get up out of that chair and turn off autopilot and get on the mission and serve Christ next year. God's Word wants us to evaluate how we invest in God's mission. George Guthrie said this, As Christ followers, we are challenged to reject becoming lazy Christians who display paralyzing passivity in regard to ministry. So are you working for Christ? Discover how you're shaped to serve. Is love your motive? How's your hustle? And then write this down. Don't quit. Don't, don't quit. Your reward is coming. So now this is written to the group of people who are serving, but maybe you're weary. Maybe you're weary of working for Christ. Maybe you're kind of growing sluggish because of how much you're doing, right? And you're like, oh my goodness, these are, these are people who feel like it might not be worth it, who feel like, you know, is this worth it? I'm, I'm, after all this that I've done for God, and, you know, it doesn't seem like it's getting better, and I feel, I feel worn out, 
Well, let me just commend your commitment. Let me just commend your commitment. God sees your work. God commends your endurance. And God commends your resolve. Everyone on ministry teams is, in my book, worthy of commendation. But I think of those people who are on the Awana team, and man, you signed up for a long run. How many of you are on the Awana team? Raise your hand if you're on the Awana team. All right, yeah. You're in a race of endurance. (laughs) And those kids, you know, right around this time, you're probably like, why am I on this team? You know, and and you got got a ways to go too because the finish line is way up, you know, months away. And uh, I think of our student ministry team and there they are carrying so much ministry weight as we're still looking to hire a youth pastor. And, you know, they're probably like, man, it's such a big investment. Every week I'm there. Hey, hey, God sees your work. God commends your work. He does. I know the worship and tech team, if you've been on that team for a while, you know what Christmas means to your schedule and your time. We've already had people who've been here late nights get in the stage already and planning out special services. And I know you're probably like, am I going to have myself a merry little Christmas? Or am I going to have a nervous little merry breakdown? I don't know. Hey, don't quit. Don't quit. Your reward is coming. It says, we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. It will be worth it. It will be worth it. Assess your endurance. Where is your fatigue coming from? Where is your frustration coming from? And then look to the future and see that it will be worth it. I saved verse 10 for the end. It says, For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. This idea here pictures God as a judge. And there's a fear. The fear is that the judge will overlook your work. That he won't see it or that it won't be admitted into the court, and that you won't be rewarded, so that in the end, why did I do all of that? One of my children, I won't say who, but one of my children got a speeding ticket. (laughs) And so I had to go with her to court this week because she had to appear before the judge. So there we were in the Bridgeview Courthouse Tuesday morning, and... uh, she was really nervous, and I was, was kind of playing games with her, too. You know, like, come out with an orange jump shoot. You know, here's what you got to do. No, I'm just kidding. But she just, her eyes were wide open. This whole court experience, we're walking into court. There's cops with guns everywhere. You're, you're getting checked with a metal detector, and then you sit in the court, and then, and then the bailiff comes out. All rise, and you get up. And then the judge walks in and sits down. And even though it was traffic court, oh my goodness, I loved it. One after another, people called forward. Did you have insurance on this date? Um, yes or no? Um, and the judge is just not letting them wiggle out of anything. What, how fast were you going? I don't know. Well, let's see what the clock said. And I mean, there were people who tried to get out of it. The, my favorite is the one guy, and the judge is like, did you have your registration on this day? Uh, and the guy goes, yes and no. <laughs> and the judge goes, yes and no. It's a yes or no question. Well, no, judge, it was in process. Process, And I mean, he just was on it. 
there was nowhere to run. One guy got up there and said, I don't think I was going that fast. And the judge said, do you want a trial? No. Well, if you want a trial, you can stay until the end. And if you're wrong, the fines are going up. Fine, I was going that fast. <laughs> the one guy, my phone was on my dashboard. I didn't touch it. Oh, we've got records to know what you were doing with that phone. Do you want a trial? And it's like the judge was daring him to stay. Fines go up if I find out you're lying to me. This was traffic court, and I was loving it. <laughs> Thankfully, my daughter got off with just going to traffic school, right? So she, she, uh, they went easy on her. This judge was factual. He was informed. He was lawful. Every once in a while, he'd look over at the prosecutor, who seemed like a young guy who was just getting his feet wet. He'd look over at the prosecutor and be like, what's the code on that one? The prosecutor would be like, uh, all right, 35.2. Write it down, 35.2. The judge is helping the prosecutor do his job. He was lawful, and he was merciful. He would, he'd get you on the hook. He would make sure there's no doubt that you are guilty, and then he'd be like, I'll give you supervision. He was merciful. I, I couldn't believe watching this, and it really made me think, it was mesmerizing to see how he worked that court, and he had total authority in that court. Two guys walked in at one point, he goes, take those hats off! <laughs> he could put you away. Total authority. Now look, I paint that picture because there's a fear embedded in this passage, and this fear is embedded in your heart and mind. It says, God is not unjust. There you are. There you are on your judgment day. This isn't traffic court, folks. There you are. You will be there. God is not unjust. Now that's good for a billion reasons, but one of the reasons it's good is when the court opens up your records, he's not going to overlook your work. If you're serving him, you will be rewarded. If you're not serving him, you should really be afraid of what's coming. Really. Really. There is no yes and Did you serve me? Yes and no. There is no yes and no. There is no yes and no. And I, I've got to not shield you from the strength of this warning. This passage in particular is warning you that if, uh, if when it's time to evaluate your life, we'll pull up how they served me. Okay. Um, listen, you're not going to heaven. Okay. I'm telling you now before it happens. If this is how you have served Christ, you're not going to heaven because you're not a servant of Guilt is a terrible reason to be motivated to serve Christ. It should be love. It should be love for other people and love for Christ who laid his life down for you. It should be love. It should be love that throws you to the front of that line. Yeah, me, me, me. My judge is going to see that one day. We have a good judge. He won't do a bad job. And listen, if you're serving him, your reward is coming. Jesus said even a cup of cold water. I could do that today. Cup of cold water. You won't lose your reward, he said. You get saved by the faith of a mustard seed. And look, even, even work of a mustard seed means so much. It's, it's worth every sacrifice. Hey, every cold day in the parking lot, 
every crying baby in the nursery, every long night with students, you will be richly rewarded. And the greatest reward of all will be the smile of your Savior. Well done. Do you want to hear that? Do you want to hear that? Well done, good and faithful servant. Lord Jesus, we close this out in prayer. We thank you that you see our work and that you call us to endurance. Help us, Lord, not to quit. We know that our reward is coming. Help us not to quit. And I know there are some here today, Lord, who are going through a, a season where they wish they wish they could be serving you more. And, uh, and they're really going through a Category 5 storm and they, they shouldn't feel guilty one bit. But I do know there are others here today and, and maybe you're just waking them up. Maybe, maybe they have never served you once. You're waking them up to that reality of what's coming in the courtroom of heaven. <clears throat> maybe they, they have in the past, but they've just fallen away. And, and they know, maybe they know it's time in 2020 to get to the front of the line and to say, pick me, I'll, I'm on that team. Put me on the schedule. Maybe, maybe they know, maybe they know, and this message is your your way of giving them that push back into service. Jesus, it truly is an honor to do anything for you. We are not worthy of being called your servants. Father, we are not worthy of being called your sons. And why the judge of the courts of heaven would even commend a cup of cold water doesn't make sense to me. But thank you, Father, for being a just judge who who will give us a reward for everything we've done in serving the saints. We worship you, and we are grateful that we can serve you. And we pray that you would bless us and give us endurance as we persist in, uh, in encouraging and strengthening other believers in the faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing together. Well, we're going to sing loud at the close of this service. I just don't want you to be freaked out when we start playing loud and singing louder. Are you guys ready?